the game on the line, you can't fold and you can't bend. Y'all uh, be playing it safe and I be going for the win. Remember back when they was doubting on the kid. Uh, now they tuned in cause my game too legit. Hey, 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 what's going on, you guys? Welcome back to Forgiven AF Podcast. This is a second chance podcast that we put together for our mentorship program and to spread uh, awareness on certain situations and just bring you up positive motivational content um it still drives me crazy like in a good way when someone comes up to me and says hey man sean i listened to your last episode man it was so good or man i I really took this away from it it's still hard for me to believe that someone takes away you know 30 20 40 minutes of their day to listen to me ramble or listen to me talk about different subjects like there's no part of me that makes that i feel entitled to that so i hope you guys know that every bit of it comes across in a way that i'm so grateful and inspired that you guys um, actually listen to this and care about some of the things I have to say. So thank you for that. Uh, Today's going to be a different sort of an episode. Today I'm going to share a story with you, um, a story that I get a lot of inspiration from. Um, I can relate to the story and I think you guys will be able to also. Um, I guess that's that's really it for now. One thing that I ask of this episode is uh, at the end of it, if you get something from it, will you please share this with somebody? Will you please just cut the link out and send it to a friend or cut the link out and just share it on your social media page or something because I feel like this story and then the few thoughts we have at the end will really um, bring impact or have impact on people that really need to hear this, okay? So again, this is just a story that I heard from somebody and and then we'll just take it from there, okay? So here it goes. There was a father, a very wealthy, loving father. Um, he was a great father. Uh, was really good with his kids, raised his kids right in the proper, healthy way to live. And um, he had two sons. One was Steve and one was Jerry. And Steve felt that he was grown and that he, you know, he had it all figured out. He knew he knew what life was about. And and he actually went to his father and said, Dad, man, I, like, I get it, man. I know how you want us to live, and but I don't really want to continue to live down this life. I want to go do my own thing. So, Dad, will you give me half of my inheritance? You know, I know that I'm supposed to wait for you until you pass away, but can I have half of it now, Dad? Because I want to go and I want to start my own businesses. And I want to go do my own thing. And I want to show you that that I have this life figured out. So his dad, even though he was kind of reluctant, his dad said, you know what? I love you. Um, I will do that if this is what you're asking. If you, if you want this right now and you think that you can handle this, then sure. I'll give you half of your inheritance. Uh, the other half I'll keep for, for Jerry for when, for when I pass away. Um, here, here's half of your inheritance. So uh, Steve took the money in a cocky, arrogant way, and he left and decided to go move to Vegas, right? So Steve was like, you know what? I'm going to move to Vegas. I feel like I feel like I can make a career and a, and a name for myself in Vegas. So he moved to Vegas to start his new life. Uh, when he first got there, he met some guys and made, you know, made some investments that actually, you know, were fairly good in the beginning, uh, which actually made him feel even more cocky and arrogant about, you know, what he was doing and who he was. And Therefore, it was just kind of like he just started living on this life of luxury and he started, you know, he was using drugs and he was drinking a lot of alcohol, hanging out and partying all the time, was hanging out with escorts and just had tons of friends and people around. Um, And it made him feel, you know, very important. It made him feel loved. It made him feel accepted because he was just spending all this money and all these people were always around. Uh, So he actually ended up spending a bunch of money on cars and jewelry and he bought a house and and he was just living this luxury life, like going out whenever he wanted, doing whatever he wanted to do. He had, you know, no real responsibilities because, you know, he, in his mind, his money was 
making money with all these great investments he made. And then something happened. Um, life hit. The world hit a recession. The United States hit a recession. And there was a huge drop in the stock market. Huge drop. Like, it dropped out the bottom. Um, and he was too cocky, you know, to, to think that this involved him and that he needed to make any adjustments. So he continued living the life he was living, didn't make any adjustments to a stock portfolio. And, well, we'll get to what happened after that. So that next weekend, he had a huge date with this supermodel. He had been trying to get with her for a while, and uh, she finally agreed. She heard he was a baller and that he had it all figured out. So she agreed to go on this date with him. He was trying to impress her. He was buying her all this extra stuff. He was buying all this, you know, these fillets with this just expensive sauces and these high dollar champagne bottles. And when uh, at the end of the night came and he gave his debit card to the waiter, the waiter came back and said, excuse me, sir, but your card declined. And he was like, (laughs) he laughed and he was like, oh man, you guys are silly. So he stood up, went outside and decided to call his bank real quick, say, hey, what this card declined. Like he was going to be, he was mad. He wasn't worried. He was mad. He was calling the bank. This is crap. I can't believe that y'all declined my card on this date. I've been with you for so long. I have X amount of dollars in the bank. I'm one of your best customers. And as he looked up, his Lamborghini was getting repoed. He was like, hey, what are you doing? He ran after the car. They said, sorry, sir. The bank sent us a repo notice. He finally got the bank officer on the phone and said, um, I'm sorry, Mr. Steve, but your account is negative $100,000 and we've had to repo your car. We foreclosed on your house and uh, we've had to close all your cards. So you have no money left. And he was like blown away, devastated. He had made all these investments in bad stocks and they dropped so bad in this recession that he literally had nothing left. I mean, absolutely nothing, not a dollar. Um, he had to tell the people at the restaurant that he would come back the next day and do work to pay for his bills Um, and then his date laughed at him and just left him there. Um, all the friends that were around that he thought were friends, they all scattered and bounced because he was broke and they were all really just there for the money that he had. So they just left him. He was just, and that's such a sad, I know I'm kind of chuckling, but it's when you realize those type of people aren't really your friends, but they scattered left. He was just there by himself. He had nowhere to go. And he ended up spending that night in uh, the hallway of his drug dealer. Like he literally just slept in the hallway with other homeless people because he had nowhere to go. Um, He was so embarrassed. Like the shame that he felt, the sadness was just overwhelming. He pretty much ruined his life and now had nothing to show for it and nowhere to go, nothing to do. Um, He exhausted all of his other options and decided that he would probably try to figure out if he could just maybe go back home and work on the farm, you know, his dad's farm, because he he really couldn't figure out what to do. He knew that the workers on his dad's farm were making enough money to not have to live in, you know, hallways and homeless. So he was like, maybe if I just go home and I, you know, ask my dad for forgiveness, I, I know that I don't have a place at the table anymore. Like I've ruined all that, but maybe my dad will let me live, you know, with the with the people that help around the farm, you know, the employees and stay in the little employee farm. Um, he was like, it's better than staying out here. So it took him a week of being homeless before he decided to do this because he was way too embarrassed. He was way too prideful thinking that I can't go back. There's no way I can go back. I've done too much wrong. He's going to be so mad. I've spent all of my inheritance, but he decided that um, it was worth trying to go home and just see if he could work for his dad. So he, he ended up hitchhiking home because he didn't have a car or he didn't have any money for Uber. So he was like getting hitchhiking after hitchhiking uh, or hitchhike from one vehicle to the next the whole way. 
home. And the whole time uh, he was in these cars hitchhiking, hitchhiking, all he was thinking to himself was, you ever know when you're like going into a certain situation, how you keep replaying the situation in your head over and over again? Like, dad, I'm so sorry I did this. And and had all these excuses ready for his dad. Like, I mean, he had a whole list of reasons why he did what he did and why he was wrong and excuses for, you know, what happened to him and why he didn't deserve that and all this stuff. So he was he was coming up with this whole plan, this whole ordeal of what he was going to tell his dad. And uh, so he gets out of the car on the last little, the last little oomph of the way home. He gets out of the car. He thanks, you know, the guy for hitchhiking or giving him a whatever it is, giving him a ride. And he's walking down his dad's, you know, mile long driveway, just playing over in his head about how mad his dad's going to be and how his dad's going to kick his butt and how his brother's going to kick his butt. They're probably going to all jump him uh, because he ruined, you know, spent all of his dad's money that his dad gave him that his dad worked so hard for. And as soon as he saw his dad on the porch, his dad literally jumped off the porch and started running at him like aggressively, like Steve was terrified. He started to like cower. He kind of, he he thought maybe I should turn and run. This was dumb. Why did I come back? He was terrified, trembling. Um, and then as his dad got real close, Steve had he like braced for impact of thinking his dad was just going to like come in and just kick him in the head or just like he literally was, didn't know what his dad was going to do. He just knew his dad was going to be so mad. And as soon as his son, his dad got up to a Steve, his dad stopped lifted Steve up, gave him the biggest hug and kiss on the side of the face that you could ever imagine and told Steve how happy he was to see him, how much he loved him. And he was just like, Steve was just like overly blown away because he could not fathom how in the world his dad could be like still loving towards him for what he's done. Like he was like, dad, like you don't understand. I, I know you probably think that I'm home with the money, but I don't have anything. His dad said, I don't care about that money. That's just money. You're my son. I love you. I'm so happy you're here. He screamed. The dad screamed back to the house and said, bring him a fresh pair of Jordans. Bring him that Balenciaga hoodie. He told him, bring him all the nicest stuff that we have in the house. Bring him that big gold chain that I keep on the house for just family. He said, and he, the dad restored the son's place back at the table immediately said, son, you are back in this family. I'm so happy you're home. I love you so much. And if you haven't kind of already figured this out yet, this is just a play on the prodigal son, right? Uh, a book in the Bible. It's Luke 15, 11 through 32. And what the story is about is explaining how we all, God gives us all free will to move, to do what we want, right? So there's going to be parts and times in people's lives where people have stepped away from God to pursue their own wants and desires. Um, but the point of this story is to show you that no matter what you've done away from God or what you've done against God or what you've done in your life that you feel that you have this shame or guilt and that God doesn't want you back, God's love for us is the exact love that that dad had for that son. The way that son came running home and that dad embraced him and kissed him, clothed him in new clothes and gave him his seat back at the table, that's exactly what God wants to do for you or anyone you know who's far from God right now. So I know this is kind of like a sermon, and I didn't, I know, I didn't mean to get too religious with it, but I've been, I've been feeling like God has been wanting me to share this story because there's so many people out there living in hurt and shame and condemnation that they've done too much for God to restore that, right? And it's just not true. God wants you back. God wants you to come home. God wants you to share your sins and tell them that you love them, and God is going to restore your spot at that table. Um, don't allow, like, pride and... Uh, to keep you from like 
coming into a relationship with God and like what he wants from you or what, you know, what he, how he wants to bless you because God's way, like his, what he wants for you is so much better than what you think that you want or deserve. Um, I want to kind of share how this story relates to my life so much because when I was young, I formed a relationship with the Lord through my grandmother. My grandmother was like the definition of like, if I could see Jesus reincarnate as a person, I would like imagine my grandmother because she first of all, she was a retired school teacher and then just dedicate her life to like serving people. I mean, I don't remember my grandmother ever doing anything for herself. It was like meals on wheels, serving the people of the church that needed it, passing out food, like doing, she just had the most the service mind. And that's how like I first came into a relationship with God was through my grandmother. And then after a few years, my grandmother eventually got Alzheimer's and um, stopped like even knowing who we were. So that was something that was really hard to go through. But um, and then she passed. And after that is when I started messing, you know, I started messing around with drugs at a young age and started, you know, going my own direction where I wanted to go my own desires, acting like I had it figured out, like Stephen and or like the son and the prodigal son. Right. I lived that whole life for many years, 15 years of whatever I wanted to do. Um, but I always knew I always felt this tug from God, like protecting me or telling me like, hey, man, like I love you. Come home, come home, come home. And it wasn't until I was incarcerated and sat down and had to like actually face that relationship that I was able to come back home to God, right? So another big part of this that a lot of people leave out of this story, and this is something I don't want to leave out because I feel like this is almost like maybe even a bigger part of the story, is the other brother in the story, okay? The other brother in the story, when Stephen came home, um, the other brother was didn't come to any of the parties. He was mad. He was like, I've been here the whole time doing good, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And Steve went out, spent all this money, came home, and you restore him and love him and give him the same amount of stuff that I have? That's not right. That's crap. And he was pissed. He didn't go to any of the parties that the dad threw. And I want to make sure that we don't, as Christians who, or, you know, maybe not we, but as Christians who have been walking the walk for a long time, let's not be that other brother towards people that are trying to come to God. Let's not, let's not look at new people or people that are still living a life of sin and away from God Let's not look at them like in a judgmental, oh, I can't believe they do this. That's not of God. If we could start learning how to not be like the brother and be more of like how God wants us to be, where we can start loving people that are struggling with sin or struggling with different things that we feel is not of what God wants, then we can start bringing people to the Lord. But as long as we're sitting around like the brother saying, oh, they don't deserve what I have. I've been perfect. That is such an ugly view of Christianity because what God says is that he wants us to come home and be forgiven of our sins. And and if we're sitting around acting like, oh, those people did this or those people did that, they can't come to the Lord. We are not at all advancing the kingdom of God, right? So anyways, that was really like the the part that I wanted to make sure that we that we make sure that we paid attention to was that other brother in the story because that other brother was spiteful and mad and prideful about the brother coming home and restoring his relationship with the father, which would be like Christians being like, judging someone and not wanting them or allowing them or inviting them to come to church or whatever or into a relationship with God because we thought, oh, they do this. They're not of our they're not our type of people. So just wanted to like share this story. That's really all I have today, y'all. It's hopefully that story is impactful to you guys as it was to me. And um and I think that's really it. Again, I love you guys. Um thank you for sharing. I know this is just a short one, but do me a favor and share this. Uh, I really feel like there's people that need to hear this message and know that even though no matter what they've done, that God wants them back and wants them to come home and get into a relationship with them. 
All right, so remember this, you're loved, you're forgiven, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I'll see you guys next week.